Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps episode 33, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. This episode will be highlighting the 1975 comedy Monty Python and the Holy Grail, written and performed by Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, Terry Gilliam, and Michael Palin. To discuss this film, I am joined by Brave Brave Sir Knight, Craig Moore. I am. And who's the other one? And the brave but not so brave as Sir Craig Moore, Sarah Alexander. <laughs> Hello. And coconut banger, Chris McMullen. <laughs> Howdy. So what are your first impressions of Holy Grail? This movie's funny. I loved it. I thought it was really funny. It was excellent. It was like watching a 90-minute episode of SNL, but if it was just one skit where you got no reprieve. Holy shit. Was the problem you didn't have enough drugs? I mean, it could be. This film is only amplified by how intoxicated you are. It starts off and it's pretty sweet, but anything you stack on top of that, it's like an exponential curve for enjoyment. <laughs> I didn't have any drugs. I, I just had caffeine, which I guess counts maybe, but... It is, eh? No, I just, I thought it was really funny. You need to say no to drugs. <laughs> it was funny the first 30 minutes and then I'm just confused why they decided to make this into a movie and I guess not some type of special that could have been an hour on TV because things were added to it as it went on and it got almost less funny like the whole knights of me I was okay this me. is obnoxious excuse by this me point. <laughs> yeah. excuse me Sarah <laughs> the knights who formally said me <laughs> I missed it. I was totally out for that whole portion. I think that's when I took my bathroom break too because I was like, I can't do it. This film is a masterclass of the moronic. Simultaneously, the stupidest yet most brilliant comedy ever written, or at least one of them. The way it bounces back and forth between uh, governmental discourse and then hops into smacking coconuts together. It creates this atmosphere that you have no idea what the hell is coming next. And at least that in itself is interesting because if anyone tells you that they could see where this film was going, they're a blood Bloody liar. Fair. And this is all the way up until the very end. You get that really weird moment where everyone <laughs> everyone goes to jail. I just, I can't say enough good things about this movie because you could take almost any scene out of this film. Maybe not the zoot scene. I, okay, that was a little weak. But like, there's so much good stuff between like the French and the Black Knight and the Swallows and the Witch and the Bridge and the Watery Tart. That like, I'm, I'm running out of breath trying to list off the great scenes in this film. And so I just think that's a testament. But that's what it is. It's just scenes. It's not a movie. Like there was no real progression for storyline or characters. It just was a bunch of things that they mushed together i'll give blazing saddles this like at least it had a plot nice oh, nice plot. like it plotted along this had one of the classic plots of all time king arthur and the knights of camelot no, all, no. you know the ones that they could afford Don't in the budget that, went Craig. on a journey to get the quests. holy grail I watched side quests of the different knights, which didn't really delve into any of them as characters, and they were all pointless too. And then you have you ever it read or have you ever read yes! the stories of King Arthur? Like yes! that's all they are. It's like here's the story of this guy going off on his weird quest, and he didn't get anywhere. And then there's this jackass who screwed around in the swamp for forty five minutes. They're more entertaining than this. This was just 15 minutes of each of the knights going off, nothing really happening, and then coming back. At least in the Arthurian stories, it was a something more entertaining than this. 
I just watched some guy wander into a palace with 50 women. Like, ugh. Are you telling me you didn't like the... Okay, I, I, maybe I can understand why you wouldn't like that scene. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I think we can all agree that's probably the weirdest part of the moment, and which confuses me a little bit because they even acknowledge how weird and awkward it is as they trail out of it. And so you think if you're going to write in how weird your scene is, maybe just cut it instead of just wink-winking after you make me watch that for 10 minutes, but... See, you, you called it moronic. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree. It's absurdism. Oh, of course. It's a, a moronic has a lack of intelligence that this had. Quacks like a duck. Well, some of some of this was moronic. Sarah's like, fuck off. I think for the most <laughs> part, we can all agree the zoot scene was the weakest part of the film. It was even self-aware that it was the weakest part and that it was dragging on with the whole get on with it, get on with it scene. They knew that they needed to wrap that up. But that's not funny either. No. Okay. So point is, yes, that was the weak part of the scene. You compared this to Blazing Saddles and I would, I would compare Blazing Saddles was a lot of peaks and valleys. It had a funny moment and then a really weak moment. And then a funny moment and then a really weak moment. Blazing Saddles was all funny. I would argue that this movie had a lot more. It was funny, 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 weak. Funny, 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 funny. Don't believe the propaganda. I compared it to Blazing Saddles only in regard to the plot and character development, which this didn't really stand out for me. Like, yeah, it was great. Joke, 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 joke. But okay, I can watch that every Saturday night. Yeah, if you don't like the the Monty Python flow, then it's, you're you're gonna have a hard time with the movie. I would say that the zoot scene is funnier than the best scene in Blazing Saddles. I mean, that's that's strictly not true. But it was okay. The zoot scene even did have some funny moments when he's saying, "No, no, no, I can handle it. I've got this under control." And the other night, I believe it's Lancelot is like, "No, no, no, it's too too much peril." And he goes, "Oh, a little peril is good every now and then, you know. Let's maybe maybe let me combat some of that peril." And he's like, "No, no, far too perilous." Like that was funny. It did have some highlights. I really think that the story and the narrative, maybe it seemed very obvious to me from the onset because I've seen it so many times. It really is just a framework to structure all of these skits. And I think if you're trying to piece them together into this grander narrative, sure, it, it falls apart. But in their own little contained ecosystem, some of these conversations are, are some of the funniest things in... I would argue cinema and most certainly on this list when you compare it to other comedies like Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, Airplane, like these are way better highs than any of those films had. That guard scene, every time I see it, I've seen it probably a hundred times. Every time I see it, it makes me laugh so hard my sides hurt. The, the one where they're, <laughs> they're standing there watching him run and run and run? No, the one with the guards, the guards in the prince's bedroom and the, the king is telling them, like, hey, you just stand here and make sure he doesn't leave. And the guards just, they can't fucking figure it out. It's like, no, we're coming <laughs> with you. No, you're not coming with me. Stay here and watch him. Watch him do what? Just make sure he doesn't leave. Like, they just can't understand what, and maybe it's a manager thing or maybe it's a, <laughs> maybe it's just a, a thing working in corporate culture for so long that inevitably you will run across a person that it doesn't matter how many times you try to explain something to them, they can't understand it. And it's funny. Craig, I'm sending this to all your That's direct right. reports. I'm you know what? This. My direct reports are fine. They all get it. That's why they're still direct reports. All of the guard scenes were funny. I thought the one you were referencing, Chris, was great. My favorite one, though, had to be The Frenchman. Anytime, <laughs> yeah. anytime I think of this film, it's always, and you come back, I will taunt you a second time. Or like, I told them we already got the grail. <laughs> Stupid English. <laughs> I told them we already got one. <laughs> we already got a holy grail. Can we see it? No. I learned the word, French word for cow from that movie. 
And the one Frenchman who only spoke English. So nah. all the time, every That's time the true. Frenchman spoke French, he'd be like, what? And then they'd have to say it in English for him. I just, I said this in the 12 Angry Men episode that I just really like a film that doesn't rely on this tremendous backbone of special effects and, and design and huge production. This is just written by a bunch of guys who were clearly just having a fun time. They had no effing budget. The reason why there were coconuts wasn't because of a joke. It's because they couldn't afford horses. And so they just mimicked that class classic sound that's how they used to emulate it on the radio it was coconuts and so like we'll, we'll just add that in and then they turned that into a whole bit with the swallows and the coconuts and yeah. it was funny and like they could only film one castle because i think it was I could be wrong, but I think it might have been Ireland. They just rejected their request to film there because they thought they were going to destroy the place. So they only got access to one place. And so that's why they keep coming back to this French castle. And they're filming it from different angles or they're using models, but there's only one damn building in the whole production. I, I find that crudeness and that low budget aesthetic has such a great charm because it reminds me of something maybe I would have made when I was younger, when we were out in the forest or whatever with our little camera spouting lines and doing skits and editing it together on Windows Movie Maker. It's just like the, the ultimate version of that on like the grandest scale where you have top talent writers and actors and whatnot putting that low budget production to the, to the limit. Sarah, what did you think of the subplot of the historian's murder? That was funny. Like, I'll give it, it was funny, and I did laugh, but just as a whole entire film, I thought it lacked, where a lot of everything else, like, yeah, we can go over all of the great jokes, but I feel like a great joke does not make a cohesive film, and we're here to rank the best film. But we argued about this in Blazing Saddles, that the lack of cohesion, somehow, we enjoyed that. Weren't, weren't you on that bandwagon? But it, it was still more cohesive. Really? It, it was the jokes that we, <laughs> <laughs> it was the jokes but the overall plot was the same. I would argue that Blazing Saddles is as cohesive as this yeah, one. Uh, so, uh, Maybe I just wasn't into this one. Th that, that makes sense. I know someone who won't watch movies if they have a spaceship in them. I know people who won't watch fantasy because low magic is boring. Low magic is fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if you're looking at it from a point of view of you want this artistic tale of start to finish um you're not going to get you're not going to get a great overall adventure story here you're you didn't get the greatest cowboy story ever told out of blazing saddles and you didn't get a like a horror drama out of young frankenstein They're, these are comedies and when you're talking about monty python they cut their teeth as a skit show this is what you're getting into when you watch these guys that's their kind of comedy and it was funny and they did it they built a framework in which they could cram as many funny skits as they could in what is the two-hour runtime, if that. Yeah, how, wasn't it even shorter than that? 90 minutes. An hour yeah. 30. Like, it was, it was a lot of laughs. The laugh per minute is pretty high. This was very densely packed because there's a lot of material. My favorite joke in the whole film has to be the discussion about who gets to rule and King Arthur is talking to the peasants in the mud and the guy's response is well I didn't vote for you and he goes well, of course you didn't vote I'm your king it is my birthright I pulled the sword from the lake or something and he goes oh, oh watery tart distributing swords is no basis for a system of government and my father and I I only see him maybe two or three times a year we quote Monty Python at least eight times anytime we have a visit together and maybe that's why I have such a tremendous fondness for it is because it's one of his favorite movies of all time and 
so I've probably seen this film maybe 20 to 25 times start to finish. And so it's just so ingrained in my mind that this is what's funny. Maybe that's why I just, I don't know. I, I'm like, obviously it's so funny. Of course <laughs> it's going to be high on the list. And Sarah's coming in being like, mm, I don't know. I'm like, <sighs> yeah, it was funny, but I want more. Yeah. From a top 100 film of all time. That's totally Sarah, if you come back, I will turn to a second I'm time. really curious. <laughs> I'm going to have to like... Your father smelled of elderberries and your mother was a hamster. But it is. It's just joke after joke. But like you, people have watched this. It's probably been like 20, maybe 15 years since I've seen it the last time. And it all came flooding back and it all made me laugh. Yeah. The jokes are well-paced. They're well-structured and the comedic timing is there. And that's what I look for in a comedy. I said this in Blazing Saddles and I'll, I'll bring it up here is you tell a joke and then you finish the joke and you move on to the next joke. And these guys aced that. And they also did the great callbacks, right? The swallow thing. Those are good. That was awesome. I even argue that this actually was a fairly good Arthurian tale. It hit all the notes. The ending was instead of getting the grail, they got arrested, but <laughs> they actually they actually did their separate quests they came back together they then made it onto the the final the final thing that the arthur used something he learned to best the guy at the bridge i, I really feel like it actually is very cohesive they didn't get the grail because they were missing percival well that'll get you should have written percival in <laughs> it's cohesive i i think not cohesive isn't the right way to describe it i just don't think a lot of development happens and sure, so i think that's I'll say that. yeah because, okay, let's talk about characters. Absolutely. Let's talk about characters. Black Knight. Woohoo. Yeah. Who grew the most? Oh, group. You can't uh, really say it. Probably Arthur because. Uh, we can rehash all their jokes, but. Arthur didn't know anything about sparrows at the beginning. And by the end, he knew about <laughs> multiple kinds of sparrows. I mean, you got to know those things when you're a king. That's right. Yeah. Just a note on characters. Did you guys ever feel like who was saying the jokes made a difference in your response? Because to me, all the knights were just a knight. It didn't matter who said it because none of them had a defined enough personality for any of the to really matter. No. Maybe Arthur in some instances because he has some authority, but other than that, Robin was an absolute coward and he had his he had some good funny cowardly moments. I don't even remember what one that is. Maybe he I was have the to coward. watch it 20 times, but He bravely ran away away. He had a chicken on his shield. When danger oh. reared its ugly head, he bravely turned his tail and fled. Okay, but so yeah, from that one scene, but then I could not pick him out from the rest of the movie. Well, he's the one with the chicken on his shield. <laughs> Did we even watch the same movie? I, I, maybe I just didn't watch it. <laughs> when discussing characters, this isn't about your main cast. The fun characters are who your cast encounters and how they banter with them. So like great characters like the Frenchman, great characters like the Swamp Hobo, great characters like the Rabbit. Those are the characters that are swamp memorable hobo. and add. Which one is the Swamp Hobo? His name was Dennis, like, for Christ's sake. You didn't bother to even ask. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you're talking about characters, those are the characters that matter to me. And those are the characters that set up interesting moments in the film. I agree with you, Sarah. The knights are all as generic as they possibly could be. But I really don't think the film is, is hindered by that at all, to be honest. And that's, that's like a really weird thing to say because I complain a lot when like the Mandalorian and Boba Fett are basically interchangeable. But in this instance, I don't seem to care. They so are not even remotely interchangeable. <laughs> Well, I guess there's a couple of different ways to tell a story, right? You can tell a story about your characters who grow, go on a great personal journey of growth, or you can tell a story about the people in the world. You can tell a story about the world. And 
use your your character as kind of just the object to get the best out of the setting and a lot of films do that right that's why a lot of films have the character like when we talked about in gladiator maximus is kind of a black character who's only just there to to carry us along to enter the world through him right perhaps that's what they're trying to honestly i don't think a lot of thought went into what they were doing with these characters <laughs> but if any went into it maybe that's what they're thinking is look these characters don't need to be great with a lot of character they just need to be the object we use to bring the audience into these crazy situations Fair. Uh, I think probably they agonized over every single line. <laughs> it did go through several rewrites. John Cleese is a perfectionist. Maybe I'm wrong and they just made it look easy, which is kind of a, uh, a hat tip to them. It's like when you watch good improv. And I mean, I like Faulty Towers. Yeah. That's one of my favorite shows, but I just, in this, I couldn't even get into it. When I look at the little four of us, one of us is not like the other. And I wonder if that's a dividing line. Is it the Kirby hat? I'm, I, it's 2022. I don't even want to say, but I am postulating. I, mm, I wonder. Mm. Sarah, is this film sexist or disrespectful towards women in any way? I didn't think it was that bad. No, not not at all like that. Like that one, that's not even a complaint on my head. It's just something stupid that... Is it because they burned the witch, Chris? No, it's just <laughs> a, it, like uh, like people who are raised like the three of us are more into oh, this. turned me into a newt. That <laughs> got better though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, you don't need to watch the movie after us because we will actually repeat every line but I, I just i wonder if if it's a boys like stupid things and and girls don't i like stepbrothers i like talladega nights i know yeah that's why i didn't really want to but it just like it seems like yeah but this is intellectual stepbrothers is not intellectual comedy maybe they, this just went over my head did you just call sarah dumb i think he called all women no. dumb. oh actually. jordan no. <laughs> i don't know i'm jordan. just saying that stepbrothers is crude without any actual substance whereas this oh, is crude yet contains substance they made bunk yeah, beds. But... It has so much. <laughs> the Catalina wine mixer. There's a lot of substance there. It's funny. Yeah, it's good. And that's what I mean is you can have a plot and build jokes into your plot and it still be a funny movie. And then this just wasn't. Sarah liked it. Or no, Sarah did like it. And the three of us thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, this was the first time you've ever seen this. Did you cringe when you saw the opening credits and were like, oh God, what did I sign up for? No, those are funny. Like the the llamas and the... Uh... And I think maybe that set it up like, oh, this will be fun. <laughs> and then there was no thespian on stage showing good character development. It wasn't written by Shakespeare. <laughs> and she was like... <laughs> <laughs> the llama credit scene was top tier, but the rest of this high? didn't have enough development for me. When we were kids, we would pause every frame of the llama credits to read them all and read them all out loud. And we would spend like 20 minutes on the credits just busting our whatever, our 12-year-old asses off laughing at these before we'd even start the movie. Yeah, that checks out. It's okay, Sarah. It's okay to not like every film. I know we've been kind of picking on you a bit here. I'm going to bully you because you're wrong. This must be how Chris <laughs> feels. Right? No, but I, the difference is I still respect you, Sarah. There's a support group for... <laughs> For two of the four popcorn peeps now, they can meet every Sunday. If we aggregate, like, total list placement amongst all our lists, we'll just have to weight Sarah's choices a little less now. This episode. <laughs> like like 77%? Yeah. Jordan. Uh, <laughs> popcorn <laughs> peeps does not endorse Jordan. this message. To be clear, that was sarcasm and irony for me. Obviously, it was sarcasm. 
So first he says women aren't intellectuals, and then my I didn't say that. It's only worth seventy-seven percent. I didn't say that. I said you do not appreciate cool, 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 cool. the appreciate the intellectual gift that is a holy grail. Women aren't capable of understanding from smart Jordan. jokes. I'm not flaming women. I'm flaming Sarah. There's a difference. There's a line. <laughs> Just for reference, three of us are dressed like adults, and one of us is wearing a pink Kirby hat. Now hold on, because the only reason that I'm not wearing a Kirby hat is because I don't have a Kirby hat. If I had a Kirby hat, I would wear the Kirby hat. Buy one then. This is a for the available for the low low price of twenty six ninety nine on Amazon. This is an official licensed Nintendo product. Your it's only thirty bucks. Yeah. Oh, I gotta get me a Kirby hat. Let's go. It's comp season, boys. Kirby hats all around. <laughs> Well, did you guys have any favorite moments that you want to bring up that you really enjoyed that we haven't talked about already? You already talked about my favorite scene, which was Dennis in the mud talking about how a woman in a lake throwing around swords is not no basis for a system of government. That one's hilarious. <laughs> but And I also talked about the guard scene. Those are my top two for sure. I got one more I'd like to bring up. And I didn't even, like, I thought it was funny, but I thought it was even funnier after I read the backstory behind it. So when they go to fight the rabbit, they didn't buy a rabbit. They borrowed someone's rabbit for this. And they were explicitly told not to get the rabbit dirty. <laughs> and so they just ignored him. They're like, oh, it's fine. We'll clean the rabbit afterwards. And so this rabbit is covered in this gushy fake blood. They have a hard time cleaning it off. It's basically pink when they give it back. <laughs> and it wasn't it didn't even dawn on them until after they filmed it that they could have just bought a rabbit for $30 at a pet store yeah. but instead they borrowed and fucked up some other guy's <laughs> rabbit <laughs> just angry about the whole thing they could have given that guy a second rabbit and Chris is yeah. sitting here telling me that a lot of thought went into this movie <laughs> <laughs> just cause you think about your craft doesn't mean you're not useless in the real world it's just the combination of the rabbit the holy hand grenade itself being such like a meme in any oh the holy hand grenade uh yeah. any anything combined with this dumb backstory like being on set filming this sounds like it would have been an absolute blast i've never noticed it before because this is the first time i've watched it on like a high def i think it was just high def i don't think we actually had it in 4k but a 65 inch screen the sun on arthur's stomach like his his armor has a mustache <laughs> I don't even know that tickled me. I don't know why. <laughs> Sarah, what would you say was your highest point? I liked the French scenes and I did like the scene with Dennis or otherwise known as Dirty Hobo. Dirty Hobo. <laughs> Sorry, Dennis. Old woman. I'm not that old. <laughs> and then the scene with the prince in the tower and his dad, I could not get Braveheart out of my mind for that whole scene. I was like, this is where Braveheart got the whole plot for their prince. So in this one, they did exactly what they could have done in Braveheart. The, the prince was effeminate, ineffectual, but that was the whole character. He's still... a appeared to be even like straight but just just they did it with a lot more awareness might be too hard of a uh, it wasn't as tone deaf how about that sure yeah not to highlight how short my memory span is but we watched braveheart like a year ago and <laughs> have a hard time recollecting the specifics of the prince and so just note that that movie did not have a lot of staying power in my brain because it was a piece of shit jordan the intellectual oh i still enjoyed it another part i didn't like was even though they faked going into song a couple times they still went into song and i did not appreciate that the the knights of the round table song is kind of mid takes like two minutes and it's the only part of the film where i really feel like the plot is actually like subverted for some stupid comedic joke 
Like, the whole point of going to the court and then immediately leaving the court did feel weird. I thought that was great because they're like, mm, it's a silly place. Let's let's not go there. I think it was probably <laughs> a good way to get away with not filming on a set that they couldn't afford. <laughs> True. In terms of other weak moments, I did think Dennis the Sorcerer was pretty mid. Tim. Tim. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, Tim. Dennis Tim the Sorcerer. Slop, hobo. How many Dennis times have you seen this guy? What are you talking about? That's great. Well, With all the pyrotechnics. The intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> He just does this five minute scene with his rocket stick just blasting and I'm like, okay, I get it. Next, what do you have to say? I thought that was hilarious. And then we got some real high magic too. Fucking low magic. That's <laughs> true. And it's funny because you see Tim for the first time in a cut when they're escaping from Zoot and that character isn't even introduced yet. And so you get a snippet of him before and you don't even know who the F this guy is. And then he shows up 30 minutes later in the film. Yeah, yeah I think that might be a hint that they filmed these scenes out of order. Maybe. Quirky, uh, for better or for worse. Sarah, what did you think of the Black Knight scene? Yeah, that was humorous. I don't think it was like their strongest one, but I can see why it would have staying power for some people. I think that's arguably the most iconic. Like you see bootleg shirts everywhere of the Black Knight, just kind of like... Yeah, he's the stump and it's... With his limbs cut off. Tis but a scratch. It wasn't a very long sketch, which was which was good yeah. because it was a transitionary sketch just to get from Arthur, get Arthur from one place to the next place where between two big sketches. And there's a, there's, I'm going to teach you guys how comedy works again. <laughs> Mansplain comedy to us. <laughs> there's a concept when you're telling, when you're doing comedy where you do one big joke and then you do what's what's a transit transitionary joke. It's kind of like an in-betweener to get you from one part of narrative to the other part of narrative. And then it's a good habit to call back from big main jokes to your other big main jokes. And then you kind of leave the in-between jokes on, on their own. You don't call back to them very much because they didn't have a lot of staying power usually in people's minds. Yeah, so like this episode is a transitionary joke, uh, bringing people from the good Vertigo episode to whatever will be next. <laughs> We don't oh, even no, know no, if the gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think about our soundtrack? Brilliant. Dun, da, 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 da. Just the trumpet and the, it was great. I didn't recall anything. I was not keen on this one. Bangers. <laughs> I actually re-listened to this some the soundtrack and I was kind of irritated as to how simplistic a lot of it was. Let me let me backtrack a little bit. I think like from a musical composition standpoint, a lot of this is very boring and cliche, and I think simple to a fault. But I think maybe when you're combining it with the film itself, it probably fuses better because that kind of like wonky, low budget kind of feel fuses well together. So maybe listening to the soundtrack on its own isn't inherently fair because it would pair better with the film than just a disc you would play while you're doing chores or whatever. Knights of the Round Table. Yeah, but I feel like that's a weakness. That's a weakness of the audio then if it can't stand up on its own. Not necessarily because a lot of the really eerie tones in... Something like Vertigo, like that really amplified and enhanced some of those strange, surreal moments in the film, but on their own weren't necessarily as strong as some of the more classically written compositions. I think it's kind of like a case by case. Knights of the Round Table is a better song. When we talk about this soundtrack, so that's what I was going to ask, Chris. When we talk about this soundtrack, are we including the Knights yeah, of the Round Table it's, song? it's better than anything in Slumdog Millionaire. Then this this soundtrack was incredible. They rhymed- Camelot oh with Pramalot. They're geniuses. 
And I know I don't have to see Spam a lot. A whole Broadway show that exists because of that song. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be interested in that, even as like a Holy Grail super fan. I'd watch it. I think it'd be funny. Hey, speaking of callbacks, did you ever get tickets to see the Beauty and the Beast on Broadway with your wife? You talking to me? Yeah. You, you left an Easter egg, and if your wife found it, you were going to take her to go see Beauty and the Beast. That wasn't on Broadway. That was in uh, the place nearby that has plays. God, why is the name of that town just flown right Stratford. out of my head? Stratford. Stratford, thank you. God, the place where I go to buy chocolate. The corner store? <laughs> Did you end up going? No, we didn't go because uh, there was a, I don't know if you heard, two-year global pandemic. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about our, our any sweet uh, information you have about the movie, some some hot hot takes, some not hot takes, what do, what do you call them? When, when you have, you know things about the film. Fun fact! Oh, I got a fun fact, I got a fun fact. According to Terry Gilliam, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin primarily funded this film. Oh yes, I did hear that. Oh. Yeah. That was my fun fact, so... <laughs> said rock stars were way more willing to give some of their money uh, because the tax bracket in where they were was so damn high that it was just like a why not the government's going to take it anyway may as well fund something cool and the studio bigwigs were like hell no we're not letting you make a feature length film you you fools <laughs> and so yeah like thank you Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd not only are you creating some sweet bangers in the music industry but also in the film industry so good for you and helping someone else make a sweet banger in the film industry because Knights of the Round Table <laughs> It's a great song. I, I, like, that's not hyperbole. I think it's better than anything in Slumdog. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's just pretend MIA isn't a fucking masterpiece then. <laughs> uh, do you have any fun facts there? You usually have fun facts. I couldn't be bothered to look anything oh. up for this. <laughs> oh, jeez. I've got a fun fact. Sarah fucking hates Monty Python. No. <laughs> I'm really excited to rank it then. Let's rank this motherfucker. I'm going first. It's number one. This movie's Whoa. fucking funny. Wow, that's that's something. That's my story. It's about it's it's below nothing, above everything. I love this movie. This isn't even the best Monty Python movie. Life of Brian, I think, is the superior film, and this is close, but not quite there. But I just have such a good time watching this. I have a tremendous nostalgia for it. I think so much of the writing is tremendously funny, despite a couple speed bumps along the way. But I watched this 20 times. I'm probably gonna see it like at least 60 or 70 times before I die. Like, I'm down to keep making this an annual rewatch. I'm putting this in my 15th spot. Well, that's not horrendous. Oh, that's way higher than I thought it was going. Below Young Frankenstein and above Inception. I did say it was funny and it had funny jokes. It just wasn't a great movie for me. I think that's fair. I have currently on my list three romance movies in a row. And my question was, was this movie better than any of those three love stories? And the answer is, it is better than two of them. So this one is going in at number nine. Above Wally, but below Brokeback Mountain. Wow. I'm glad, I'm glad of any of the love stories. Uh, you left the best one on top. So this is interesting. As much as I love this movie, I think maybe I share your view that it just isn't of the same caliber as some of the other stuff that we've watched. Because I, I think uh, I'm putting this in 11. So under Inception and above Gladiator. Because the my top 10, I think, are all fantastic movies. Not because... I think this is bad. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. We're at a point now where the the upper echelons of the list are actually like super solid films. We're a little, little rough there at the beginning. We saw some <laughs> questionable movies, but no, no, it's it's all good now. And I'm thinking now, like recollecting on maybe like why do I enjoy this so much? Nostalgia aside, I wonder if it's because I grew up watching so many videos on like Newgrounds and early YouTube of like these two minute, three minute skits with this super strange style of comedy and stuff like that, and these really off the wall things, and maybe maybe. To appeals back to that kind of that time in my life it might be kind of the way you trained your brain on what you find funny oh trained his brain (laughs) well we all train our brain to certain things right like you like you like saturday morning cartoons or, or whatever it is because that's the kind of art that you taught yourself to enjoy and in jordan's case if he spent a lot of his time watching one and a half minutes comedy sketches on on youtube or e-bombs world or whatever the hell we were watching <laughs> growing up and then along comes a movie a 90 minute long movie that is just short attention span joke after joke after joke it's right up his alley my attention span sweet spot is a great two to three minute window TikTok still a little too short for me not getting into TikTok. <laughs> maybe after i concuss myself a few more times i'll appreciate TikTok more but i felt like the skits in this were like the perfect length ghost rider the sequel hey chris what are we going to be watching in episode 34 of popcorn peeps i forget <laughs> i was almost ready <laughs> i don't know it either it's a, it's avatar good meme chris what's actually 34 it's avatar no it is why i don't know <laughs> how can it possibly be true that the highest grossing film of all time is all the way down at 34 because it wasn't very good because it's just pocahontas we've we've done this 34 times and you haven't come to the conclusion that people just have shit taste i'm getting there buddy i'm getting there (laughs) we'll be watching 2009's avatar uh surprisingly it's available on disney plus and you can even watch that in 4k uh lots of rental platforms but your non-incremental cost is disney plus If you've made it this far, uh, well, thank you. And we'd now like to thank our supporters on Patreon.com. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Craig Lewis, Erica Wilson, Sarah Renier, Frank Costa, Ryan Saarinen, Jim Wamsley, Travis Laporte, and Buster Hyman. Thank you so much for your support. (laughs) And we will see you in the next episode. Thank you. Until next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Cheerio.